This is your host, Dr. Mansima Shabazz. Hello, 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 Dr. Marianella Medrano. How are you? Mansima, I am very happy to be here. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy to see you. You and I have a visit that we've postponed for many years now. <laughs> right. So we're going to make it happen this year. Yes. Yes, definitely. Yes. You and I know each other quite well, and we have some shared interests. Mm-hmm. Would you like to share some thought or? Yeah, well, the first thing what brought us together, which was transpersonal psychology, right? We met in California. So that's to me a great, I remember the first time I saw your face and I felt at home. Oh my goodness. Totally connected. I was there. I was in California, not knowing many people. And it was this friendly face. So that's one thing. Then poetry unites us. We both share the love and the cultivation of poetry. And we both share so many things. The spiritual life, Mm -hmm. our interest in changing the world right right <laughs> and you know, to that to witnessing what's happening and changing it oh i remember the first time i saw you too and we both coming from connecticut but we didn't yeah. know it. we met in california instead yeah. so that was very interesting for me but one thing i remember clearly was i wrote a poem called tumpala yes at mount madonna yes and I remember you said to me, I was trying to explain what the poem was about. Mm-hmm. And you said to me, uh-uh, just, just, just go with it. Just go with it. They'll get it. They'll get Aww. it. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get it. And we had, I think, a small group session mm-hmm. with some of classmates, et cetera. Yes. And we did a reading, I think, mm-hmm. of poetry that afternoon. So Yeah. Well, we used to do that and then dancing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Ah, that's that our way to, that's, to kind of rest from too much sitting and meditating. Right. <laughs> yes, Madonna was the place. Kind of get there. You have to turn things down completely, right? Completely. That was that was such a, a special place for my formation right. as, a, as a therapist and, and also it was a, a very affirming place in terms of my connection to nature. To the first time I went to Mount Madonna, I actually went on for a long walk and I got lost. <laughs> I was lost for hours in the redwoods, but finally I found my way back. I actually wrote a, an essay about an article about that experience because it was kind of transformative to right. be lost there and. At the beginning of a journey. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was a unique place. And also mm-hmm. talking about our spiritual mm-hmm. practices, especially at with a group of people sharing similar interests was really, really powerful. Yeah. So whilst we're talking about poetry and we you are on the National Association of Poetry. Therapy. Mm-hmm. Therapy, yes. Yeah. Could you share how you got there and what you do? Yeah. 
Um, well, I'm currently the president of the National Association for Poetry Therapy and APT, which is an organization that is the vision and mission of the organization is to disseminate poetry therapy as a means to facilitate healing and personal growth and development through the use of poetry and, and other creative devices. Right. And, um, I actually have been in the organization for close to, if not over 20 years now. I don't know. I One day I was perusing the internet and I found that organization and I was amazed because I used to use poetry as a way to facilitate not therapy because I wasn't a therapist then, but uh, as a way to facilitate healing. Right. And I knew how healing, you know, poetry was for me. So when I came across the concept, I used to, to do what then I realized was poetry therapy with the students at the school I was working in Norwalk then. So I saw the, the organization and immediately contacted one of the mentors and began training with them. So I've been involved since in various ways. I'm now a mentor, someone, and that, that's not through NAPT, but through the International Federation for Bibliopoetry Therapy. And so I got certified through them and now a mentor who trains other people who want to use poetry as an instrument of healing and, and personal growth. So that's the, in a nutshell, my, right. my involvement with it for the last 20 yeah. years. Yeah. One of the things that I can relate to is as a domestic violence counselor, mm-hmm. I encouraged the use of expressive arts in order for them to process what the experiences were. And one of, I remember one situation very well where a young lady I worked with, I remember the first time I started working with her, she wouldn't even open the shades because she was so terrified. And with time, as we were doing the expressive therapy, et cetera, and putting words on paper, mm-hmm. it kind of came together for her. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she was leaving the shelter where she was, I gave her an assignment to write a poem about who she is, and it's I am. And and she had to work through it week by week. But the last time I saw her, she had her poem together Mm -hmm. as who she was, and she seemed prepared to step into the new life with some power and some control, knowing exactly who she was, right? So I applaud you for really doing this work and yeah, it's, it's, it's something, I mean, it is a transformative experience for most people. And, and we know that we hold on to songs, we hold on to words that have meaning to us. So in poetry therapy, we, we facilitate that by sharing poems and songs or fragments of stories so that people can distill from there the material, the words in which to tell their own stories. And we see the difference. I have worked throughout the years with the elderly, with adolescents, with women who are in transition, with individuals in general who are in transition. And 
And I can see what it does to people when they find the way to express. That's that's right. where the, right. the healing begins, when okay. we can name, when we can put something outside of us and kind of give it texture so we can maneuver and, and change whatever needs to be changed and transformed. Yeah. That's beautiful. Now, as we're talking about poetry, do you have one you want to share? You share one and I share one. How is okay. that? Okay. So I I thought, let me share one of mine because I think it's relevant to perhaps this, this conversation today. It begins with the title of the poem is How Caciques Are Made. And caciques are, in Spanish, is the name for a, a chief mm-hmm. or the head of a tribe. Right. So how caciques are made. And it begins with a quote from a, the poet Adrian Rich that says, your mother dead and you unborn, your two hands grasping your head, drawing it down against the blade of life, your nerves, the nerves of a midwife learning her trade. Mm-hmm. So that ends Adrian Rich quote. And this is my poem. My son's mother dies today. He'll be born tomorrow when round death sticks to the unique instant of giving birth. The blood that unites us will flow gloriously down the legs. I'll gladly kiss the wound as if to bless the moment. Still alive, I die joyfully, so joyful that I burned with pleasure. On a tray, I serve my son the unavoidable pain that will force him to grow robust in the anguish of being human. The unavoidable pain through which words pace back and forth like a beast, like a wild animal. In fine prayer, I plead that my boy will become the cage for the beast. We will be born into seasons of lights and shadows, vulnerable to love's embrace. We will pass through the membrane and arrive in this world with soul and senses breathing. Without needing each other, we will offer each other company. We will transcend solitude. A song dies in order to start the true beginning, wisdom of the shadows and the abyss from which we will triumphantly emerge. From death will come the warmth to germinate the seed, breathing in the blood, breathing in the dead. My son's mother dies today. He'll be born tomorrow, kissed by the roar of a wild animal. Bloody with opened eyes, he'll break the curse. Goddess, I will blow, blow the breath into a miracle. Oh my goodness, that's wonderful. Now, ooh, I want to hear yours. My heart really beat deeply. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with others. And I'll share one of mine yes. The Magnificat in My Own Image. I wrote this in 2002, and I want to give a shout out to Dr. Irene Lazarus, mm-hmm. who encouraged my poetry writing. Beautiful. I was born in the month of November. 
as the elders describe, that is the month where if one goes through, is able to live and tell their story. I was blessed with a rich imagery of death and permanence when my birth coincided with a fixed water element as my astrological sign. I was named Ama for a girl born on Saturday and was honored with the name Isimensima, my grandmother's name, and my soul rejoiced. Culture and tradition appeared in every fiber of my being with drums speaking to my heart. I learned that I could whisper through the wind to talk with a goddess and she appreciated the Proverbs songs and rituals that honored her. This indigenous religion reinforced my belief that human progress brought peace and harmony in my community and my soul rejoiced. With a powerful physique, I was endowed with great love, sensitivity, mystery, and wisdom. As the eagle was introduced to accompany my journeys, I learned to love with fierce abandon. My heart opened and burned with passion for love and justice. And my soul rejoices for what is yet to come. Wow, the, the poems kind of talk to each other. <laughs> right? That was perfect. And we didn't know we were going to share. No, right? It just happened. That I is amazing. Right. The birth of a we should do more of this. Yes, definitely. <laughs> right. I remember the dinner we read poetry, right? Uh -huh, yeah. Wonderful. Yes, we, we must do it again soon. <laughs> right. So we both come from different places, indigenous cultures. English is our second language. Mm -hmm. And so the nuance of language, you know, how we say things. For example, I was thinking this morning reflecting before I got out of bed mm -hmm. that when we express something like I am pleased with you we don't use the I am mm -hmm. we use like my eyes it's almost like my eyes have taken hold of you mm -hmm. right yes and the eyes representing the gateway to the soul so we express this in that format what can you share from your background that makes language really powerful and connects all of us different understanding of life and experiences? Yeah, what I'm thinking, as you say, as you asked me this question, I do have languages, well, it's the thing I use, right? It's my right. instrument of work, but I have, I always, stop with this issue of language because actually the language my mother tongue was an imposition. I came from a people that, that were almost exterminated by colonization. Oh. So the Arawak language, which was the language of the Taino people, the indigenous people of the Caribbean and the Dominican Republic where I was born, is almost inaccessible to us because with colonization, it was pushed as many of our practices was pushed away. So I have these, I don't wanna say love hate because I don't hate Spanish. I mean, it really is the language in which I 
better express myself. But there is always a hesitation on my entrance into language symbolizes kind of a rape or destruction that colonization did to us. I think that holds true for all of us, right? Because when I was in school, you couldn't learn your language beyond primary school. Mm -hmm. You had to speak English. And if you didn't, you were punished. So we have that thread um, common. Yeah. But I guess there is something about immersion, though, because when we think, yes, there was an imposition at the time of colonization, but then Spanish was the language that my ancestors learned to love. So I actually feel, I mean, there is a a rhythm, there is a life, there is a spirit that lives in my Spanish that I can not, I cannot say I access equally when I'm speaking in English. Because after 30 something years in this country, still English is that thing that still stays kind of trapped here. When I'm speaking in Spanish, there is total fluidity. I can tell you, though, but there are times I blank out of English. I mean, like, you know, I can hear the words, but it's like I go totally blank on it. I can't. Until I resettle myself and say, oh, okay, this is what was being said. Especially when I'm having an emotional Mm -hmm. reaction to something. So, which brings me to back to our spiritual practice Mm -hmm. as essential to our wellness, right? Mm -hmm. Because all these things are connected to really who we are and really finding a home base, Mm -hmm. you know, within us and, and how to shine from there you want to shed some light on that and how you i mean language is home Mm -hmm. is is what i'm saying language is home right so for me like i said i've been in this country for over 30 years and i do write in english by now with this i actually write feel at ease writing more than speaking english when i'm writing i can flow more than when I'm speaking. But when I want to feel home, I have to go to the Spanish because of that fluidity, because that spiritual connection to perhaps it's the great connection to the mother. Right. right? That's why right. we call it mother tongue. So right. there is a an affirmation, there is a, a reassurance that, that we access. And I see that when I do groups, uh, poetry therapy groups with uh, Spanish-speaking people who don't have much access to use it, and they they all describe what the freedom that is in writing and, and accessing memories in their own language. But it, it is essential, as you talk about the mother, and that it is essential that we tell the stories of our mothers as well, because it kind of permeates deeply into and and our grandmothers for that matter Mm -hmm. permeates into or shapes who we are Mm -hmm. as women and what we pass down to the younger generation right so as we're talking of motherhood what challenges uh, (laughs) firstly that women face and what strategies using words poetry can 
can we engage in to bring healing? Yeah. I mean, I, without poetry, I don't know where I had been in life. I always said I grew up in an island. So in the island is separate and is insulated. So secrecy is part of that. And when you've been colonized too, there is a lot of secrecy about life and a, a, a lot of things that we don't want to name. Right. So as women, as mothers, and I, I learned a lot to speak up through my mother in a very, I want to say obtuse way, because she was my mother or is a very, very strong woman. At the same time, she believed the status quo. So she was silent for many years in so many ways. And her silence motivated me to speak up, motivated me to write. And when I began to write, I wrote about prohibited things. I wrote about sexuality and my body, and it was a liberating force. So giving women the power of words is the most powerful tool that we can offer to that. And I know for me, as a mother, there was that friction when I became a mother because I had a child who was demanding of my time. And that was actually quite the adjustment for me to give up my writing time. So I wrote a lot about motherhood, not so much from the sweetness that it is sold as. I think motherhood is overrated. But I wrote from the perspective of what is this? Who is this little guy who has taken over my life? So having access to poetry and to kind of navigate the transition I was going through was a crucial, very important thing in my life. And I I believe that for women especially, it is in telling our stories that we not only empower each other, but really send a message. And it's a peaceful message and harmonious message to everyone else that this is where we stand or Mm -hmm. this is the direction we're going in. So what is the pathway to creating our stories? I mean, you and I have a mechanism in place. For example, when I'm stressed, the first thing I think of is going to that place where I can draw something from within and put it on paper. But for somebody who hasn't used that tool, What would be some of the strategies they can put in place to start? Yeah, to use the writing. Um, Well, to start by reading, I said to to those I work with that the most important book they need to read is themselves. So is introspecting, is going in, because all everything that we need to write is it's within and it of course is outside it's in the environment is in the ecology that surrounds us but that ecology has to be brought in to be processed so to see writing as an opportunity first to enter silence silence is is it's key right key we have to retreat mm-hmm. inside into silence into there has to be 
a connection with solitude, not loneliness, but solitude, to then access the well of information that's within us. And it has to be, the Bhagavad Gita talks about the spiritual journey as being the journey that is similar to climbing the Himalayan, where you have to train for a long time. You have to create an endurance. You have to train your muscles. So the spiritual journey through writing is the same thing. It has to be done day after day, little by little, practicing, practicing, practicing. So you see something that you consider beautiful or ugly or scary, go in, process it, talk to the body. I do something called embodied writing, which I learned from our old professor Rosemary Anderson and I adopted adopted it since then to, and I've been facilitating workshops, body writing with a creative angle, which is a little different than what Professor Anderson envisioned when she created embodied writing. But there has to be an embodiment of, of the experiences that has to happen. And then the transformation comes when we're able to put it on the page. So what I said to people is read your own book, the book you are, and just pay attention to the body, to the wisdom that is in the body. Right. Talking about the wisdom in the body, in my culture, what we do is actually from childhood, when you're little and they're grooming you to how to take care of your body. Yeah. have a daily ritual that right after your bath, you have to sit and really put shea butter on every part of your ah, body. And that's then, why you have that beautiful skin. Uh-huh, thank you. <laughs> and, then, and then they would inspect it and tell you, ah, you missed a spot here, you missed a spot there and stuff. But that daily sitting with the body, yes, really the shares, you get in tune with the cells. Mm-hmm. Because the cells hold wisdom. Yes, and they talk back to you and tell you what is going on also yeah. from the inner level. Right. And, and one question I would ask my clients for sometimes is, or the women that I work with is, when did you stop being enchanted with mm-hmm. your own story? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't like your story, who else would like? I mean, you have to. You um, have to like your story. Right. In the same way that you have to like the body, right? right. And be scared of it. That there's no um, shame. Yeah. In any so, story. So what teachings can we pass on to the younger generation? You well, have a son, I have a daughter. What do we tell them as uh-huh. they're growing up? Because the, I noticed, as you mentioned earlier, our mothers were silent yeah. to a point. Yeah, to a point. And, did not disseminate some of the things they could have to make us more prepared mm-hmm. about life in general mm-hmm. and looking to the future, the people we engage with, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I always call it some life traps. It's like mm-hmm. you have landmines, land places where they are not aware of yet, but we've been through it. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things you want to share I think it goes back to to the issue of introspecting, right? To and and I will say, I I say this to my son, to be 
always wide open, always alert to see what's in the surrounding, but also to trust that all the answers are within, that there is a power within, that there is an answer for everything, that there is a way to hold things that lives within, not outside. I mean, we can go to others for guidance. We can go to others with questions, but the answers are within. So the, the importance of introspecting, the importance of connecting to the elements mm-hmm. that then allowed introspection to have a life, right? So we know that five minutes, for instance, into nature, there is a transformation that happens to us. There is a, an easiness. Right. If you want, start asking people what happened to them to kind of take notes of what happened to them five minutes into being into in the woods. And invariable, people are going to notice that there is an easiness. So that's the combination of the silence that is there, the quality of all the elements that are there, and what gets facilitated is that that introspection right and expression right finding a tool so for example as we talked about expressive arts Mm -hmm. it could be words it could be painting it could be music sound however ways they can integrate that into their daily experiences Right. Right. right 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 and by going back to my own son he he was gifted with the the art of seeing, so he's a painter, so he, he is an artist, and, and he knows, he knows how important introspecting it is in order for him to create. And I'm always amazed with him because his eyes see things that I don't see, actually. With all my, my years of practice and things, there is something, there is an, well, what would I say? There is like a laser focus kind of viewing that he has that is amazing we we all came with unique gifts and Mm -hmm. skills and it's amazing and I think the younger generation gets smarter I don't know whether it's but they have a whole access to information and when I talk information I'm talking of beyond what is in front of us right right into the intelligence and really draw something from it that we were never aware of yes yes i'm very hopeful about this new generation because of what you're saying they have learned to see beyond that's that's for sure right because we we were brought up to see what has been structured and that was the way it it was they think beyond that they're very creative and expressive that way so they won't be able to function well in the current structures and we can see it playing out right in front of us they're actually brilliant in the way they use information it's beautiful to see yes so as we I like these conversations because once you get into it, you know, you can go for a really long period of time. But I know when people are tuning in to watch, they don't want to go beyond this. So time is money, they say. What is your thoughts on who a woman of power and grace is? Yeah, I think when I think about those two put together, 
power and grace, what comes to mind is compassion and is the ability to assert, to have access to words and to intuition. So when you put that, those, all those elements together, I think you have a woman of power and grace. And when I think, you know, I was thinking, because I know this is the, the main theme of, of your program, I was thinking, who are the women of grace I know? Well, you are one for sure. Oh, thank you. And then I was, I was thinking, one of the, the books that has actually saved me through the pandemic is this book written by Ruth Kinn, is Mindful of Grace. It's a beautiful book. And she, I don't know her personal, but just by reading her, I think she en encompasses all those things that I was saying, the compassion, the clear vision, the being no, no, she has no fear to name things, right? And obviously she is a writer. So she has access to these, but her compassion exudes throughout the book. And she's someone who lives a very spiritual life, but it's also a life that is tied to activism, which is so crucial. It's, it's right. one of the pillars of, of spirituality. And then the other person, the other woman that comes to mind as someone who embodies power and grace is John Halifax, who is a, a Buddhist teacher who directs the Upaya Center in, in New Mexico. And okay. she's an anthropologist. She is a social activist, really someone who has transformed all the spaces that she has inhabited. So to me, yeah, I don't know if that's clear, but that, that, that no. is... A, um, there isn't one definition of a woman of power because there's so many different parts yeah. of who we are. Yeah. But as a whole, we have to integrate yes. all the unique attributes from so many different places, one, to enable us to transform, yeah. two, to be able to receive grace and give grace, yes. right? Yes. It has to be balanced that way. Yeah. So I um, really appreciate you bringing these people up. And, and also that I think is connected to what I was saying, but also the other element is the ability to embrace vulnerability. And, yes. and women of power are women who are not afraid of suffering, who are not afraid to say, ouch, it hurts, which is part of being assertive and spontaneous and compassionate towards ourselves so and others. Yeah, the ouch part, some of us know very well. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's beautifully expressed and really appreciate you coming on to my roundtable to share these thoughts. And I'm hoping that the women who really access this information could take all the nuggets of gold you've shared today and use it and open up in order to step boldly into their own lives and be able to share their own stories. So thank you, thank you, thank you so thank much. You, I hope you had a lot of fun. And I did always, talking to you is always so 
enjoyable and reassuring and energetic and all those things. Thank you. Thank you. I'm inspired all the knowing people like you, really. Uh, it's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.